0: Contact lenses are really important to the independent doctor. And one of the things that is really tough for them is that the patient will order one or two boxes and then leave. And so this has been a challenge for many years and one that Marlowe meets head on. Marlowe meets the consumer where they want to be met. They're on their phones, they can order the way they want to order. It's finally solving a problem that's been part of independent optometry for many years that prescription would have left and nothing would have been purchased at the practice. But now through Marlowe, because it's so easy, because the patient is being met where they wanna be met and because they're able to use Marlowe to reorder, they're doing so and the practices love it. Marlowe is an innovative digital platform, and I think that's what really draws the attention of the doctor. It is a great way for a practice to be able to capture uh, the patient purchasing from them. But Marlowe does it in a way that's very convenient, very simple, and we know everybody wants great digital platforms, and Marlowe brings that to the practice in a great way. Marlowe modernizes independent optometry.
1: Hi, welcome to a, another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo. I have with me Bob McGlani, and Bob is founder and CEO of a, a company called Hoot that you're going to learn more about, which is a marketing automation platform for dry eyes and myopia management. And he founded that with his wife, Dr. Shafali McGlaney. And Bob's also a best-selling author of three books and a full-time motivational speaker. So welcome, Bob.
2: Thank you, Dr. Vargoth. I'm Delighted to be with you today.
1: So maybe we'll start here. If you could give us a little bit of background on you and what was your inspiration to start Hoot? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what Hoot is. And I'm curious about your inspiration behind it. What problem were you trying to solve when you created this?
2: We were having dinner, my wife is an optometrist. She owns her own private practice in New Jersey, which is where we live. And dinner table conversations with an optometrist on their practices are about staff, about patients, about problems, about the issues and the frustrations. And she pivoted into myopia management about eight years ago. She saw the writing on the wall. Primary optometry was slowly slipping away. Because it's just, you get 40 bucks for an eye exam and it wasn't enough. And she wanted to do more for myopia management. She saw these patients. So she said to me, I don't understand these parents. They don't get it. We try to educate them as much as they can about myopia. Why are they not selecting treatment for their children? And I said, well, what do you, and I worked at Pfizer, you know, many years ago at a big company, marketing sales, a bunch of other things. And at the time, you know, she said, uh, well, I'm giving them this, this, this study, this clinical study to educate them. I'm like, you know, honey, I love you, but this is not a medical problem. This is a marketing problem. What you need to do is to dumb down the content a little bit and then shoot it on video. And so that led to her, she and I working together to really figure out the process, the education and how we can educate parents better, not in the exam room, but at home. And that kind of led us to create Hoot. And so as a result, she utilized the tools we developed with Hoot to really grow her practice over the years. She's a big part of kind of coming up with some of these ideas and solutions uh, in terms of video content that goes out automatically to parents before they come back for the myopia consult or patient sits in your chair for dry eyes and you're like my bone, gland dysfunction. They're like my what? You know, and then, so the idea is that the videos and the education goes out automatically to the phones of, the, of these patients, then they come back and sign up. But it originally started, Dr. Vargo, as, you, as you, you know, the story really begins with a frustration in an optometrist practice. Who was born as a problem that optometrist, my wife, happened to be my wife, identified. And so as a marketer and somebody who understands sales or worked for a large corporation, wrote books, a bunch of other things. Develop these marketing tools to help her and implement that in a practice in a very simple way. So it was really born out of frustration trying to solve that problem with patient education. And that's kind of where we are today. Now hundreds of practices use it across the country, but that's how it started.
1: Do you think that's one of the biggest barriers as we look at what holds more patients back? And that we were just talking before. We hit record. I just mentioned I was a speaker at an event focused on myopia management, but my discussion was had more to do with patient and uh, parent communication. And one of the things I talk about is simplifying the education. And I I, I point out in the in, in my presentation that one of the and I, this was actually from a study one of the top sources of miscommunication between doctor and patient is the head nod right i'm here talking and going in depth on the you know a lot of medical terminology and i assume the patient understands and is on board because they're nodding their head up and down when in reality all they're doing is it's just a polite gesture to all let right. you know i'm i'm listening to Do you think that's why we lose a lot of these patients in terms of compliance, where there's just a a barrier of, of, you know, doctors have the knowledge, uh, what is it, the curse of knowledge, right? We understand some things so well, it's hard for us to, to communicate it in a way that's understandable to other people.
2: Yeah, I think you've said it really well, Dr. Argo. I think there's a couple of things. One is time. Doctors don't have time today. They're just so crushed in the comprehensive exam. They're trying to do so many things. And it's what I call cramming the cup and you're losing the patient. There's so much you say. there is true. Doctors know so much. And especially when, let's say for example, myopic management or dry eye disease in the comprehensive exam, you're just going into it. It's oh, all retinal detachments. Oh, the world is getting myopic and all of this. And the parent and the patient is sitting there like, uh, I got bills to pay. I have to go back to work. I have to pick up my child's soccer practice. I've got all this going on. So while they may be shaking their head, that the patient is not re- able to receive they're not listening and so there's disconnect of time pressure from the doctor and that the mind in in the parents and the patient's perspective it's just you know, on other topics so i think the time is the biggest culprit in terms of communications we're just overly you know overly booked and it's a function of just just churning out patient after patient after patient right that's how the reward system is the second is the attention span today. You know, the parents and the patients that walk into our practice, they just got off their cell phone looking at a video that's a friend or a family member sent them that has completely distracted them from what their doctor is speaking to them. And so when the diagnosis is done, you have my gland dysfunction or dry eye disease. They're like, what? My what? I don't understand, doc. I just came in to get classes. I just came in to get an eye exam. What are you talking about? So I think w- that's kind of what we solve is that problem of shifting the language away from complicating the comprehensive exam and moving it forward a couple of weeks into a myopia consult or an ocular surface evaluation where you have a little bit more time. But between that comp and that next follow-up visit, Hoot fills the black hole with, with education, automatically sent from the, to, you know, from the doctor's office from, to the cell phone, Using video, and so so the time problem we solve because it's not done in the comprehensive visit, it's and it's done at the patients you know at the home after they put the kids to bed right, and then the second is attention span in the office within that seven to ten minutes or whatever your time spending is now you have more attention when the when the when the patients are at home on their own leisure in between soccer practice and, and work so that's the like big two things the time and the attention span we we try to solve.
1: I hear a lot, especially as it applies to myopia management, I'll hear a say, I'm just planting the seed. Like they know not every parent, in this case, a lot of times it's the parents that are trying to get the parents buy in. Not every parent is going to buy into this on the first conversation. So they're trying to squeeze a lot in. And you may be familiar with what's called, you're talking about attention span with what's called the forgetting curve. And we will forget when we're exposed to new information. We forget about ninety percent of it if it's not reinforced, and most of that is in the first twenty-four hours. So planting a seed is great, unless it's forgotten really quickly, and that's what happens when when something is not reinforced. So Mm -hmm. your model is built up almost around dripping that information beyond the initial Mm -hmm. exam. Is that correct?
2: That's exactly right. I think. We, you know, people tend to, and I think you've said this in the past, Dr. Bargo, in your, in your talks I've seen on LinkedIn and others, which is really, really smart, which is patients and consumers, just any of it. We remember something like 30% if we somebody spoke to us, the recall goes to something like 80% if that's reinforced by visuals, if you show us, and then it goes another 10, 20% or something like that to if you speak, show, and make us feel, feel something, right? Touch, you know, senses and so on. And so what we do is exactly that, which is to, when the diagnosis is made in the comprehensive exam, the patient goes home, the videos immediately go out within, you know, within the first hour or two, and it's dripped slowly over a course of a week, okay? So first video comes on that day one, and then the second video goes on day three, And the third video goes on day five, something like that, or day six, right? Depending on the content it is. And what it does is because human beings, we learn through stacking information called stacking, as you know, like when you go take a course in college and, you know, when you went to optometry school or when we're learning, humans don't learn eating one huge pizza in one sitting. They eat slice at a time. And so stacking is the same thing as dripping. So that's kind of the psychology is stacking. So Shafali, my wife, Dr. McLani, she's an optometrist, but she's has a behavioral psychology degree. And so the way she wanted to kind of educate patients is not by overwhelming them at the first visit or just, hey, there's this huge document, go check it out. I'm going to give it to you slowly. So stack it. And so that's where, and then drip marketing, that's where drip marketing comes from because human beings take in bites, little bites. And now attention span is getting shorter and shorter you know, you need those bites to be shorter. So not two minute video, but now 60 second video, but essentially that's exactly right. The communications happens more at home because that's how human beings learn.
1: You know, Bob, human beings now have an attention span that's officially shorter than that of a goldfish. (laughs) I I read that recently. Um, Yeah. and, And repetition matters as well. Interesting, you know, point on the stacking, but even just hearing the same message repeatedly, repetition is the mother of, of, memory right so again when we hear something once in the exam room we're very likely to forget it our short term memory holds on to things for what like 30 seconds to 2 minutes it's gone and when it's gone we're not thinking about it if you want that patient to call back and say hey I was in your office 3 weeks ago I was in your office 2 months ago I want to come back in for that myopia management it's going to be much less likely if it's not if it's not something that we retained mm-hmm. yes and so I think that's that's something you're
2: yeah uh, and in fact let's talk about that for a second because So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's called surround sound, right? So we kind of, what Hoot does is three main things. Uh, We do marketing automation, we produce content, and we have a process. And one of the big things in the process that doctors often forget is that it doesn't begin in the comprehensive exam. In fact, it begins in pre-testing. So in the comprehensive exam, the parent or in myopia case or a patient sitting there and you, you tell the patient the parent, hey, your child's in myopia. They're like, what are you talking about? i never heard of this thing before, deer in headlights. So we'll do is something called priming. So priming is, again, planting a seed, like you said, you know, earlier on. So in pre-testing, we have a hoot handout that is customized for every doctor. The doctor just prints it and just puts in a stack of it in the pre-testing next to your autorefractor. Any minus number in the autorefractor, the tech is instructed to say, Dr. Vargo would like to read, you know, would would recommend that you read this mom. And the mom looks at it and sees the word myopia for the first time. She's primed, right? Priming is really, really important so that, and then she clutches that handout, walks in the, the comprehensive exam. And so she's been primed to the word of myopia. Then the doctor does the exam and reinforces that. So it really begins, not really communications, effective communication for, getting patients to understand the treatments and the problems that we're trying to solve does not begin in comprehensive exam. It begins way before in the pre-testing and even before that in the previous year's visit and so on, and, and you know before the you know, paperwork. And it continues in the journey of the drip campaign. So it's the pre, the, the the point zero, which is the comprehensive exam, and then the content when they get it at home, because that gives us surround sound, not just a one-off hit. But really that's what we're trying to achieve is a surround sound.
1: The other thing I th- I think you create is curiosity. So when you are offering them something to look at in the pretest room, you mentioned priming, which is a great point. But sometimes when people see something, even if they don't fully understand it, it creates a level of curiosity, which drives us to want more information. And I think from a communication standpoint, we could be in a position of kind of forcing people to listen to us, which is often where we find ourselves when we're trying to force feed medical information at people that they don't understand, or maybe they're not ready to hear, or they're not ready to commit to. But the more we can drip things that create and pique their curiosity, People start to lean in. They want more information. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, whether you're the doctor, or the optician, when you've got people asking you questions, yes. you're doing it right. That's, that's what you want.
2: No, I love that. I love that. In fact, you know, the one example of that is when you when, when optometrists, we, one of the things we do is we, rec- we made some recommendations on language that the doctor should be using for dry eye disease and myopia management and in the exam room and the comp and so on and so forth. And instead of saying something, ask something right? So when the child has been diagnosed with myopia or the patient, the adult patient's been diagnosed with dry eye disease, instead of saying, hey, you know what? We're on these screens all the time. Ask, hey, how many hours do you think you spent a day on your device or your phone, right? Ask that question. And guess what? That evokes a response of guilty, 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 right? Parents are guilty. Like, oh my God, my kid, watches YouTube reels all the time, right? Or whatever, and you know, or, or I've been on these screens all the time, right? So it evokes that response that allows the patient to, to, to kind of, you know, l- relieve their weight burden, their ba- burden to the doctor and say, doctor, I am guilty, I do spend a lot of time. Yeah, little Johnny spends a lot of time on screens. And then the doctor says, you know what? That could be a contributing factor to what's happening with your son's myopia or your dry eye disease. And they're like, really? Yeah, tell me more. Like, I suspected it, but tell me more.
1: Yeah, tell me more, right.
2: Yeah, and so the questions are really important to your point of being curious and asking curiosity questions. You're hitting right on the head, Dr. Bargo, is, is the key to evoking the response that eventually leads you down to building a relationship with that patient, which is ultimately what you want.
1: Yeah, I I found that the longer you can keep the conversation focused on the problem, the more people start getting interested in a solution. I was actually talking with a friend of mine who's been very successful in the world of sales, and I remember him telling me that one of the things, he's got now a a team that reports to him, and he said one of the the main things that his top salespeople do differently is they keep the conversation, they ask questions and keep the conversation focused on the problem and eventually the other person starts getting curious about the solution. He said, you can't force people to want the solution. You have to make them want the solution. And he says, my top salespeople never feel like they're selling because he just moves people to start asking them questions. And then they end up just asking or answering their questions. And it for me, it was just kind of, you know, a little mind blowing because yeah. it's just the opposite of the way yeah. we're taught as doctors. We need to get in there, ask a couple of questions maybe, but right. then spend the rest of the time trying to convince people to do things. Maybe they're not ready to do versus asking more questions and getting them to lean in and want more information. It, it's a huge, yeah. but very effective way to switch that up.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the techniques is, you know, is to use the word how, right? So the question is, you know, you you go to a patient or you talk to somebody when you're trying to persuade them to pursue a path is to ask them, how do you think you're going to solve this problem? Like you tell me, (laughs) like, like, let let me not tell you, you tell me, how are we going to solve this problem of itching, burning with your dry eye disease or little Johnny's myopia? What are we going to do, mom? What do you, what do you think? are some of the ways we can approach this. I mean, we have some ideas certainly as clinicians, as doctors, optometrists, but what do you think? You ought to be, all reduce screen time and all that. But once you ask the question of how, it gets them thinking about the problem in in a solution, kind of thinking about the solution. And then the rescue comes from the doctor to be able to say, all right, I think I've got a solution for you, you know, or some approach we could take based on science and medical literature, is we need to profit you with Ortho okay, or we need to get you into an IPL or Lipoflow, and so on. But the how, how asking that how I think is really important to get in, invoking the the patient to kind of think about the solution, which you will you eventually have anyway.
1: Yeah, and a lot of this is just human psychology, right? And. In the field of psychology, that's how it works, right? The psychologist doesn't walk into the room and start telling you, Bob Liglini, what to do. They're right. going to sit down and want to understand you. And then they're going to use those kind of strategies and say, Bob, how do you think you this what do you think we should do? How's the best way to approach this? And then come in and support your reasons because it's just been found to be much more effective in motivating people to do stuff when you can uncover their reasons for wanting to do something.
2: Yeah, and and people, you know, in all the change books, I I wrote a book called Embrace the Chaos, uh, and it was it's about embracing change. And one of the most important things I learned in my journey and in this book is that people want choice. Like, don't tell me what to do. Ask me how I'm going to do it. Right. So when you ask somebody how, what do you, what's your approach? What do you think? People want choice. Human beings have fought for choice. I mean, there's revolutions on this planet over the years about choice of how I should live my life. And so when we ask them something, it really evokes a different way for them to own up to. And they buy into it. When you ask them how they kind of buy into it. And so they're forced to say, yes, I don't want to lie to the doctor. I just told them this is the solution. I got to kind of stick with it, (laughs) right? So it's really important that giving that choice to the patients is really important.
1: You talk, you use the word pivot and pivoting into more of a private pay model, specialty care. I think we've definitely seen the trends moving in that direction, but what do you think that holds for the next five to 10 years in eye care?
2: I think there's some wonderful opportunities in eye care. I think what we're seeing is is the frustration is very high with optometrists of just a hamster wheel of primary care, you know, $40 eye exams and just, you know, the the same old, same old. There's a lot more So primary care, there's three big things. One is the insurance companies are not paying anymore, right? The reimbursement levels have not increased and yet the staff is getting paid more and so on and so forth, right? So that's one. And second is the optical has a lot more competition more than ever, right? Warby Parkers, Onlines and so on and so forth, even retail, Costco's and so on, there's a lot more competition. And so the third thing is specialty care is where there's a lot more freedom from plans and the uh, potential to earn high revenue and to help massively improve patient outcomes, right? So to me, the in any market, The primary care in optometry, I looked at this market very closely. It's really being commoditized. There's more doctor's offices available everywhere. Everyone's got great Google reviews. There's more optometrists out there than ever before. Uh, Opticals, the, the place to buy glasses are out there. What's not out there as much is really the specialty care. And the reason is because it's hard to get into. Hard to kind of figure out what equipment do I buy? What do I do? How do I do it? What's the process? How do I, or, you know? So to me, when I look at the future, I think the bright spots are in specialty care in niche markets. And the two or three, I think are myopia management, which is really hard to do. It's not easy to do, but, you know, fewer patients, but, but, but higher value patients, right? So you can charge thousands, right? Second, as dry eye disease, I think dry 40% or something, uh, of patients walking in, adults walking in, have some sort of dry eye disease. So those are big, big potential opportunities. And then third, the sclerals or, or, or VT or something like that. And so I think those are the places where there's opportunity that we're seeing across the market. So it's not 40 bucks, it's 4,000. That's kind of what we're seeing. Specifically
1: on myopia management, the the million dollar question is from a standpoint of awareness. And I think this is where some OD, a lot of ODs maybe struggle. There was a point where nobody heard of LASIK, right? And then it kind of exploded and you didn't have to sell it as much because people were coming to you saying, hey, tell me about this new surgery to fix my vision. I don't think we're there yet with myopia management. I think a lot of entities, a lot of doctors wish we were, but at least in the United States, you could I could pull 10 people off the streets, right? And ask them about myopia management. There's a good chance I'm hitting zero for 10 that, that have heard of it. How do we get beyond that to the point where this becomes more mainstream?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't think um, it's the, I do not think that direct-to-consumer advertising for myopia management is going to solve the problem. We can't hope for Cooper Vision, j and Bausch, Alcon, these companies to go out and raise consumer awareness because there's no pain point. When you even wor- mention the word myopia on your side in this, they're like, Most people are like, what is that? I don't understand. And why does it relate to me? Like, how, what should I care? It really, to us, the focus, the opportunity, the sweet spot is in the comprehensive exam. All of the optometrists seeing, doing comprehensive exams must and should be really, really educating those patients who have, or parents in this case, who have myopia management. It really begins there. That's where you really, you know, crack the nut. And unfortunately, some doctors don't practice myopia management. They're like, well, I don't want really, to, do I really want to get into this conversation with the mom and dad about myopia? I've seen cases. So we've had, and I've seen in Shifali's practice, to your point, um, and, and a couple of years ago, this is a few years ago, Dr. Maglani Shefali, my wife, would mention myopia to a parent. So shocked, so upset. He got upset that that a doctor said his son had myopia and he had never heard of it before. And he was a really bright guy. He posted a negative Google review, okay? He went online and posted a negative Google review saying, how can she tell me my son had this myopia when I never heard of this and this and the other? Obviously subsequently later, so he left the practice and he went somewhere else. But guess what? That Google review is no longer there because the prescription kept increasing for that father, for that child, And wherever the doctor went, that patient went, was told you have myopia, which is great. That's what we want. We want every optometrist to be able to say, look, I'm just letting you know, this is a problem. We don't do this in our practice, but you know what? I know Dr. Vargo does it. So let me refer you to Dr. Vargo. He's going to get you into myopia management program. It's going to be great. And we'll have your little Johnny back and we'll take care of him. That is what I think is going to change the game: is either doctors either do it themselves, or they refer out to their colleagues in the community who do it. And that's hard. I know it's hard because the referrals among optometrists is kind of low, because they're afraid of losing their optical business or whatever. But the truth is, you're really you know you're going to get a better patient, a more high you know first of all improve their quality of life, but second you're going to earn their trust. And that is really key to growth is earning trust of those patients. I
1: think there's a level of social proof here as well. If you're hearing it from multiple doctors, even if one's a referral and sends you to somebody else, because if you've been going to the eye doctor your whole life, and even if you've heard of myopia, but you've just gotten new glasses, they wrote a new prescription, and then you go to this doctor who talks about these special lenses that you wear and everything they do, and it's the first time you're hearing it, you might be thinking is, you know, is this legit? Is this doctor a quack? What are we dealing with here? Cause I've never heard of this before. There's a high level of suspicion, right? But when you're hearing it from two, three doctors, and now you've heard a couple other uh, maybe patients who've had it done or their child, their children had it done, then you start to look at it differently. So I, I think through some yeah. of that, maybe as we move forward, just hearing about it from multiple sources, will start to increase people's trust in it. Um, yeah, Absolutely. What would you say holds doctors back, more doctors from doing from, We're talking about the patient's reluctance, but why aren't more doctors doing this?
2: It's a lot of work. You have to educate these patients. You have to figure out pricing. You have to figure out fees. You have to create materials. Uh, you have to create a process for it. The, 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 you have to understand the technology. The, you know, Do I do ortho okay? And what lens do I fit? How do I design a lens? If I just do, you know, the soft lenses, you know, my side or natural view, how do I do that? So it's it's a really complicated process and a system. And so most doctors just kind of, I mean, because they're so busy, they don't have time. I mean, we talk to doctors all day long and I ask them, well, you know, do you have an agreement? What do you mean? Well, do you have like a contract for the management program for it? Okay, whatever. They're like, no, I need help on that. And so we, you know, what, who does is design all that for you. That's kind of the problem we solve, but myo getting into myopia management or specialty care or even dry eye disease, it's like, where do I begin? There's a heaviness thing to it because the Monday morning they come in, they're seeing patients and comps, right? And so when do you really get a chance to sit back and say, all right, what's my plan? You know, what are my resources I'm going to do? What's my process and what are the tools that I'm going to use to actually make that happen? And so the learning curve is pretty, pretty dramatic. I mean, you take courses, people go to CEs on myopia management or dry eye disease, but at the end, it's very hard to implement. And that is the problem. So my wife had the same problem. She went to Vision by Design some years ago when she first started going to learning about myopia management. And she'd come back with this thick, thick you know binders of materials, but they just sat there for months and months and months until she's like, okay, let me just spend a weekend and really learn it, and because I'm going to commit, and so that's why people don't get into myopia management or eye disease, specialties is because it's just really hard to do. And the solution we 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 think the approach is there's no easy solution, but the approach is get an accountability partner. A lot of doctors say, you know, Bob, we're hiring you to keep us on the path, to keep us accountable, like you hire a trainer. You know, I play, you know, Doctor Bob, I play tennis every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. And I got a hitting instructor, you know, he hits with me and I, and he texts me the day before, because if it was just up to me, I wouldn't show up. Right. He texts me the night before. He's like, are you coming for tennis, Bob? Uh, You know, eight o'clock. I'm like, yes, yes, Lincoln, I'll be there. You know, we get a coach for, you know, whether our life, you know, communications coach like yourself, Dr. Vargo, or, you know, or a a trainer, we do that to keep us accountable, but that's one of the big things to do, you know, moving forward. I recommend highly a tip is Get somebody you're going to be accountable to, who will guide you, help you, make you show up and keep you on track to help you grow your business. That's one of the big things we recommend for pivoting into myopia management or dry eyes.
1: That's a great point. I never thought of it that way, but just not even just the doctor, but the staff. And I hear that all the time is that, we, well, we try doing something different, but you know, a couple of weeks went by and, and getting the staff on board as well changes hard. And it, yes. especially when it's not just you, but it's other people involved. And then, you know, we tried it for a few weeks and things went back to the way they were. So I, I think that's a great point. Bob, where can people find out more about Hoot?
2: Gethoot.com is the best place to learn about Hoot. Uh, Hoot has two platforms, hootmyopiacare.com and hootdryeyes.com. But to really adopt it and deploy it for your practice, gethoot.com is the best place to go to.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks so much for your time. I, I, I think you have a really interesting model. I told you this before. I love the the drip. You know, it, it solves some of the problems that I see in the office that we're not able to do. The time issue, the ability to, to stay in contact with people and continue to drip out that message. So I, I think you've got a really good model. So thanks for sharing with us today.
2: Thank you for having me, Dr. Vargo. Pleasure. And please keep up the great work that you're doing with the communication strategies for optometrists in the community. Thank you so much for your work.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, thanks to Bob and thanks for everyone for listening. If you'd like more information about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thanks to Bob and thanks everyone for listening.
2: Thank you.